this morning we're starting a new series called Margins, where we're just kind of exploring the tendency and temptation we have in many different areas of our life to push ourselves right up to the edge, right? Uh, we do this in all sorts of different ways with our work. We're going to be talking about that this morning uh, with our calendars, our scheduling, and sometimes with our finances. We do the same kind of thing where we just st- stretch ourselves so thin all the way out to the edge and just tiptoe around the edge of the paper uh, and leave ourselves very little room at the edge. So this morning we're going to be talking about how we're tempted sometimes to do that with the way that we work. And one of the things that we're going to be doing in this series is we're going to be listening to a story of somebody in our congregation that's maybe wrestled with this area of life, of pushing out too close to the edge. And this morning, we've got a gift this morning. Tim, I want to invite you to go ahead and come forward. Guys, this is Tim McGreary. Um, everybody give it up for Tim real quick. He's going to join me uh, up here on the stage. And uh, you guys, I don't know if you've met Tim or not, or or any of his family, we've got a gift this morning to hear from you and let you introduce yourself, because you guys have only been coming here to real life for maybe two or three months, right? Yeah, it's been about two or three months. So take a moment then and introduce yourself and your family, and uh, and then we'll get into our discussion about work here in a minute. Uh, My name's Tim McGeary. My wife and my kids and my in-laws are all here in the second row. like we've been here for a couple months now, two or three months. Uh, we're transplants from Las Vegas. We've been in Tennessee for two, two and a half years, somewhere around that area. Looking for a church that whole time, right? Yeah. Actually, but you found right. it now. Yes. You found yep. it. All right, good. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we uh, just like what we were talking about, the first service, my work schedule in, in Las Vegas, I worked at the airport um, and I did kitchen maintenance. And when we had everything running at full steam, uh, all of our facilities, including um, our little grab-and-goes, there was 78 facilities total. And when I started originally, there was five of us that had to take care of all the facilities. um, And we also rotated an on-call schedule. So we were on call 24 hours a day for seven days. And then, you know, it would go to the next person. And it wasn't too bad when I first started because, like I said, there was five of us. So maybe one week a month you were on call, but at the, I'll call it the end of our, our season in Las Vegas, there was two of us. So two people for 78, two kitchens. people for 78 That's facilities. And we were on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And even when you weren't on call, you still had to be the backup on call guy for the guy that was on call if he needed a hand. Yeah. So it's almost like you were never off call. I, I remember you guys, came over for breakfast a couple weeks ago at our house and and Tim I remember him telling us a little bit about his work schedule before you moved out here and just thinking man that's insane first of all I can't like keep one kitchen running in my house like <laughs> let alone 78 of them you know or whatever so that's a huge task so so a, a, a super heavy workload but I just remember you and Candy talking about about the toll that that took that schedule took and so uh, that was something I wanted to hear when you're working that much, you said you'd clock in sometimes at, what, 6 in the morning, get off at 3.30, sometimes turn right back around yeah, and go back even, into the building. I wouldn't even get into my vehicle in the parking lot and have to come right back. Like, there's no way that that doesn't affect you in all sorts of different ways. So, like, physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, talk to us about some of the effects of working that much. Um, well, obviously, the easiest one to talk about is, is physically. I mean, at a certain point, you just go numb and... As long as I could literally physically move forward, I would keep going. Um, 
I saw you walk in this morning with a monster drink. <laughs> yeah. Did that did that habit start around the time where you were working that much? Uh, yeah, we actually like maybe got, that twenty seven hour day that you had yeah, that one we, time. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we actually went. We got free Red Bull and free Monster and free Starbucks. Seriously? So we got to a point where you could just caffeinate yourself, but it really didn't matter anymore. Wow. Um, See, we're doing counseling now on this. So <laughs> go back to where these things started. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, the physically. I would. I remember Candy told me one time, and it was probably around one of the 27-hour days. Um, she You're doing the math in your head, by the way. 27-hour yeah, days. Add up. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, our our HR people and the accounting guy was like, "You can't do that." But did they pay you for the extra yeah, three no, they, that you worked in that did. day? Okay. They did. Um, but I remember Candy looked at me in the face, and it was one of those weeks where I just was never home. I was beginning to think my kids thought I was like just that cool guy that shows up and buy them stuff every once in a while. Um, but I remember she looked at me in the face and she's like, this has got to stop. You're a zombie. You know, you're here, but you're just not here. And when you are here, you're sleeping. So, I mean, that's kind of what was one of the catalysts that started us moving. Um, we had two girls in the same room and you know, that's the ages were getting to where they needed their own space. And uh, Nevada didn't have any four bedroom houses, so <laughs> well, just Tennessee. No, we, <laughs> we had we had talked uh, previous to us leaving. We had talked for a while about moving, um, and Las Vegas just wasn't a good place for us anymore. You know, as far as family dynamic and all that, it just it wasn't it wasn't where we wanted to be. It wasn't where we wanted to raise our kids. I mean, my kids, their classrooms were thirty seven kids to a classroom. I mean, it's, it was just insane. Um, so we came down here during, like, the huge ice storm about four years ago. And it reminded me a lot of where I originally grew up was in Idaho. And so it, Tennessee just kind of felt like home. Um, Candy, my wife, she really liked it. Um, so, yeah, we packed it up. Tennessee feels like home. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't really matter is. where you're from. It, it feels like home. So um, you mentioned – that Candy, in the middle of those 24-7 kind of work weeks, that Candy came and said, this is not working. So you mentioned physically it was affecting you. It was also affecting you relationally, oh, too. Oh, yeah. I so, mean, and I, and you, you have those kinds of seasons that you get into in life, and you can, you can manage those for a little while, but it's inevitable that things will start to break down because you you feel it in your bones that you weren't yeah. made to work like that, yeah. right? And Candy felt it, too. Oh, so yeah. it's interesting that, that that's almost like – Sometimes the vo the voice of God will kind of come through our spouse, right? Yeah, I um, mean, and there was definitely times like I would miss church because I was on call and from the night before sometimes from like a Saturday night and I just didn't make it home. Um, I was struggling to try and watch it online, like on my phone with earbuds, and that wasn't working. And I kind of just drew the line, if you will, and I just started turning my phone off. Yeah. Um, for church, like we're driving to church and the phone is off because nothing is more important than church. Because maybe you wouldn't have worded it like this at the time, but but something's going on in your soul in that moment where we were made to function according to a rhythm. Yeah. And when we just put the pedal to the metal and just go without any regard to the rhythm of work, rest, work, rest, that kind of thing, work, rest, worship, um, your soul was saying, I'm not doing this. I, I can't do this. And, and then Candy was saying, we can't do this. We can't continue to do this. If you had asked your kids, they'd probably said something similar if they could find the words. And, and so 
Okay, so you moved to Tennessee then. So that was a part of you guys saying something's got to give in life. You moved to Tennessee. Like, um, and now what are you doing? Uh, I work for Coca-Cola now. Um, I do refrigeration for them. And my schedule is like 5 in the morning to 1.30 in the afternoon. Sometimes it's 2, 30, 3 o'clock. But it's still a lot better schedule. I'm at home a lot more. It's given us the opportunity to try and start our own business so I can eventually work for myself instead of somebody else. Okay. Where in Las Vegas, you know, that never would have been never yeah. would have been even feasible. So, so you're kind of Monday through Friday on yeah, call every Monday, once in a while. No, I'm never on call. Never on call. Okay. Never so on call. how how then has life changed then physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, uh, relationally because um, of this new schedule? I mean, I'm I'm kind of weird to say, but I'm a lot happier. Like okay. inside and outside, I'm I'm not a zombie anymore. Um, Candy, you want to amen <laughs> any of this? Okay, yeah, this is working. It's actually, I mean, there's been times if there's times I get off at 1:30 and I literally like the first few weeks that I worked at Coke and I got off at 1:30, I'm sitting in the parking lot of, of work getting ready to leave. Like, what am I going to do with the rest of my day? You know, I'm not used to working Start eight playing hours. Playing golf, you man. Know? So here I'd we go. go I'd, go to the gym or go home and take a nap for like 20 minutes. And I'm like, dude, this is awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I'm sure, I'm sure your wife and kids and, and family all appreciate that. One of the things that we've noticed, I mean, you guys haven't hardly missed a Sunday since you started coming to real life. And so that's another practice and pattern that having a different work schedule uh, and setting aside that time on the, on the weekend to say, this is for the Lord makes a big difference doesn't it, it? it really does so, it really does very good well tim thanks for helping us get into this uh conversation let's give tim well, a hand everybody me. all right make sure you meet tim and candy and their family uh, down here on the second row so all right well let's uh let's continue this conversation earlier this week i posted on facebook in our in our facebook group what are some of the reasons that you're tempted to overwork uh, maybe some of us are tempted, maybe some of us just enjoy it, maybe some of us feel like we have to. And so I, I asked that, that question, why, why do you work more than maybe your typical work week? And I, I said 40 hours, I realized that some people's typical work week is a, a little bit more than that, 40, 60, something like that, hours. Why do you work more? And the responses that we got were really good. We had some single parents working for, uh, to take care of a family and just needed to carry an extra heavy load. Some of you just like your work like what you do, and so you just going and clocking in is not a problem and staying as long as you want to. I deal with that from time to time. Like, I just like being a pastor, so it's fun doing stuff um, for the church. And, and uh, so for some of you, it was meeting bills that needed paid. Uh, some of you, um, it was you own the company, and the buck stops with you. And so if you weren't there and didn't get it done, then the paychecks didn't go out. And so you felt a sense of responsibility to others. So, so not all the reasons that we work and overwork are good. I did appreciate one person had a, a special sense of honesty where they just said, I'm just bad at time management. And uh, like I like to chit-chat too much at work, and I appreciated that one. Maybe for some of us it's not chit-chatting around the water cooler, but it's like I just check Facebook a lot. And so I end up being, you know, at work too much because I'm not actually working when I'm clocked in, you know. So, so there's all sorts of different reasons that we maybe work beyond uh, what we, uh, what would be considered maybe a normal rhythm of work. There are 
one of the things we also want to be aware of is that there are seasons when work ramps up for one, one reason or another. I, I, there was a CPA sitting on the front row this morning, and uh, they had their laptop right after the work message, and they're like, I'm sorry, it's just the season, you know? And so I understand that there are certain seasons that we just will work, we'll put the pedal to the metal, and, and, and yet we, we know intrinsically that we weren't created to work and create all the time. There's a rhythm to this. There's an ability where sometimes we can step on the gas for a little while and then there needs to be a season of rest. And there's also a a, a rhythm built into the work, kind of a six day of work, one day of rest kind of thing that we just feel in our bones. And if we ignore that rhythm for too long, it starts to do uh, create problems in our life. There are whether you're in a season or out of a season or whatever, there are also something we need to recognize is the reasons that we give for working beyond and pushing, mar- pushing the margins all the way out to the end of the page and, and just kind of dancing around the edge. Some of those are, are not bad reasons. Sometimes maybe you're working a little extra. Maybe you pick up a side job because you're getting out of debt and you're making some other life decisions and choices so that you can kind of get into a different rhythm of life. Maybe you're working for a short period of time to pay off some bills. Maybe you've got a short-term season or something where you're just trying trying to support some people in your household or something like that. Some reasons are good. Some reasons are not so good to overwork. Maybe for you this morning you're here and and thinking, man, I am working like myself to the bone. And the reason I'm working is because I'm overspending in a lot of other areas. And, And I've got this habit of just going and buying stuff or living beyond my means. And so I'm always trying to catch up to what I'm spending. And I don't need to be working this much, but because I'm buying so much. You know what? This is, a, this is one of those reasons that maybe is not going to be so healthy for us. Maybe another unhealthy reason would be, be you work a lot because you don't want to go home. You know? And, and so we find ourselves, if we're honest, sometimes saying, man, life is difficult at home. I'd rather be at the office or something like that. So it's important to really recognize why we're working so much. And here's something that I want to talk about today. My sense is that whatever reason we gave on Facebook or whatever you're thinking for the reason that I work so much now, that there's probably an underlying reason that's going on underneath it. And I think for a lot of us, if we would explore it, if we'd peel back the layer, if we'd go and dig a little deeper beyond the surface level or the primary kind of symptom reasons that we give for needing to work or wanting to work so much, that there's probably underneath all of those reasons an underlying reason, and here's how I bet it goes for a lot of us. If we're really honest, our identity and our value and our worth as a human being somewhere along the way got mixed up with what we're creating, how much we're creating, and how it compares to what somebody else is creating. Are you with me here? That underneath a lot of these reasons that we give, there's probably some kind of like, I feel like if I'm not making more than the next guy or better than the next guy or a a tower tall enough to reach up to the heavens that everybody else can see and make a name for myself, then then there's, there's a lack, there's something in our intrinsic way we understand our worth as a human being that's tied up in what we, how much we, how it compares to create. Are you with me on this? 
I see a head nod or two, if you know what I'm talking about. Somewhere that gets into our bones and into our minds, and it drives our push to work beyond the margins, whether we're making widgets or filling out sales reports or doing taxes or raising kids. Um, we're all tempted in the same kinds of area. Our, our relationship with work, really, in, in our fallen world, so often gets mixed up, and you can really trace it back to the fall in Genesis chapter 3. You go back beyond Genesis chapter 3, way back to the beginning, and, and when we're today, a lot of times struggling with work, we have kind of this sense of, oh, i got to clock in, oh, it's Monday, oh, i got to go make stuff, you know. That wasn't the relationship that we were originally created to have with our work. In fact, in the very beginning when God made the heavens and the earth and then placed human beings down in the middle of it to work and to tend it and to care for it, it was a beautiful thing. It was created to exist with a lot of harmony. It was made to be easy. And in fact, it had roots with our image-bearing selves uh, in, in, at the very foundation of it. In fact, I want to visit a couple of scriptures with you this morning. First is Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. So God has created everything, and then God decides to make human beings. And listen to what he says. God said, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Another translation of this verse says, so that they may exercise dominion over these things. I love how God says, let us make mankind in our image. And there are all sorts of theories and ideas of what in our image means. The triune God there who says, let's make humankind in our image. And certainly that has to do with some relational stuff and with the capacity for love and reason that human beings have. But a part of bearing the image of God, the creator in the world, and exercising dominion in the world in these ways is that we bear a little bit of the stamp of the Creator. And so our hands are hungry to make stuff with the elements that God has spun into existence out of nothing. God gave us the raw elements and puts in us, kind of like we're God's representative or ambassador or something in the created order, and put into this place to continue to create and order and make things work in certain ways. And, and so you see human beings doing that still today, even after the fall. We've got this drive to, to create and to exercise dominion and to order and bring into submission the elements that God has placed us among. God also gave work to Adam as a primary way of being in the world. Uh, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And these are two sides of the same coin that, that Adam in the early days, uh, in the very beginning of creation, doesn't work it to destroy it, but he works it to take care of it. There's a harmony to it. There's, a, there's a, an intrinsic, like, this is a part of who we are, is to work the world that God has put us into. So work and human beings' relationship with work, this is a good thing. And then the fall happens. And Adam and Eve turn their back on the commands of God and they take the fruit from the tree and they seek to have more than they were created to have. 
And the space, the, the way that they operate in the space of creation is to take and to have and to reach beyond the margins that God had set for them early on where he said, you can have all these trees, but this tree is mine uh, and you're not to eat from it. And they pushed the margins and it broke something fundamental in the relationship, not only between them and God, not only between them and one another, but between them and the, the whole world, the created order, between them and the way they viewed work. You can actually kind of trace from then on, uh, we're, we're told that there are consequences as a result of the fall, as a result of these broken relationship between God, between us and, and one another, and between us and the world. God says, as a result of what you've done, that when women try and give uh, childbirth, then there's going to be pain associated with that. When a man tries to work the ground, there's going to be thorns on the plants and sweat happens as a result of this. Like there was no need for antiperspirant before the fall, apparently. Like, but once that happened, work becomes painful and difficult. And it's sweaty uh, as a result, right? So this is what happens. Our relationship with work gets twisted and there are all sorts of effects of that you read the very next story in genesis and in, in genesis about uh, cain and abel and i think you can make a case that that their disordered relationship with work and what they produce is a part of what leads to the first murder in human history cain raises the livestock abel raises the the harvest both of them present an offering to the lord we're not told exactly why one is acceptable to the lord and the other one's not although we are told that abel presents the first fruits of what he has created to god and god smiles on that but he doesn't on cain's offering and cain in, at this point first children in the world they create things, and Cain looks at what Abel made and realizes that his doesn't measure up to what Abel made. And he begins to compare, and he gets jealous based on what he has created. You see how early on, the twisted relationship now between work, now what I create somehow gets tied up with my value as a human being, my identity, and it creates the kind of jealousy that leads a person to kill his own brother. You fast forward several generations after Noah and the flood, and you get to this time where all the people of the earth gather together, and they're driven by this need to make a mark with what they create. In Genesis chapter 11, we find the story of the Tower of Babel, and, and it says this, they said, come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, and listen for the reasoning here, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Do you hear the disordered relationship with work and with what they're creating? Now it's not just about tending to the earth that God has made. It's not just about ordering and subduing and exercising dominion and bearing God's image of creator in the world. It's not so that we can bear, image, uh, bear the image of God and give witness to Him. It's so that we can make a name for ourselves. Do you hear how the relationship with work goes off the rails here? Otherwise, they say, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. There's this anxiety. What if what we create isn't seen by everybody? What if we, what we create doesn't outlast us? What if, what if what we create isn't noticed and we just end up not having a name in the world and not leaving a mark? And some of those same kinds of threads, we still wrestle with that, don't we? In how it relates to our 
work. You fast forward several generations later into the story of Exodus, and the people of God are actually so disordered with their work, not by their own choosing, but they've been enslaved in the nation of Egypt, and Egypt is impressing them, and they've got them on call 24-7, Tim, and they're working, and they're making bricks, and 400 years of this, so that every successive generation, the further they get from being free people, in the rhythms of work that God had created them to have, Each generation is born into slavery and doesn't know anything other than my value and worth is directly connected to how many bricks I can make in a day. And this, understandably, creates so much turmoil in them. That they cry out to God and God hears them and has compassion on them and delivers them, sends them Moses. They get delivered from slavery into Egypt or from slavery in Egypt, and they're out in the wilderness walking towards a promised land. But you can imagine after 400 years of having that kind of disordered relationship with work, that there's some retraining that needs to be done. That in their time in the wilderness on their way to the promised land, God spends this time with them to reteach them what it means to be a free human person. And a part of what it means to be a free human person, listen, if you're a workaholic, listen this morning, is not to make bricks seven days a week. You are worth more than what you make. This is a lesson the people have to learn. And so as a part of God's giving of the law and the commandments, we find the fourth commandment is the command of the Sabbath. This is a part of the way that God teaches the people and reminds them in regular intervals that you are worth more than what you make. Your value is not tied to how how high your tower goes or how many bricks you can produce in a day. You are worth it as a human being that I have made and who I love. You have worth there, intrinsically, disconnected from anything that you create. And so the the fourth command goes like this, and I just want to read it. It's about the Sabbath, this day of worship and rest and play and, and not making bricks. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your female or male or female servant, nor, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. In other words, like, are we clear? Nobody's supposed to make bricks on Sabbath day. Like, this is a day to stop and rest. And here's why. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Holy. Did you know that the first place in all of the Bible where something other than God is described as holy is not a thing at all, It's a day. It's a day. Genesis chapter 1, God gets to the end of all of His work. And it's all beautiful and it's good and it's functioning just like He intended. And at that moment, He calls the next day 
holy. A day for rest. That there is six days a week where we work with our hands and and exercise dominion. And then there's also a day where we recognize that the created order and what we produce within it is not all that there is. That there's another realm, there's another time, there's another eternity. There's a guy named Abraham Joshua Heschel, and he's a, he's a Jewish guy, but I love uh, hearing from a Jewish scholar about this very Jewish practice. The Sabbath originally for the Jewish people is on, is on Saturday, and then the Christians kind of shifted that when Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday, and they started gathering for worship on Sundays, and then eventually that just became our day of rest and worship and play. But the same kinds of concepts apply, and I just want to read to you a couple of just killer quotes from Abraham uh, Joshua Heschel on the Sabbath from his book called The Sabbath, Uh, and I highly recommend this book. Let's just walk through a couple of these quotes to explore some beauty of the Sabbath. He says, life goes wrong when the control of space, so we're talking about the created order, when the acquisition of things of space becomes our sole concern. Let that sink in for a minute. You put the pedal to the metal, life becomes about collecting stuff, ordering stuff, acquiring stuff, keeping stuff. Life goes wrong when we push out all the way to the edge and the control and dominion over space becomes all that our life is about. It's a part of life as we bear image to the creator God, but it's not all of life. When we push it all the way out to the edge, life goes wrong. He also says, and I don't have this on the screens, but I love this quote. He says, the meaning of the Sabbath is to celebrate time rather than space. Six days a week, we live under the tyranny of things of space. On the Sabbath, we try to become attuned to holiness in time. It is a day on which we are called upon to share in what is eternal in time, to turn from the results of creation to the mystery of creation, from the world of creation to the creation of the world. Do you see the shift? I love this. Where we turn our attention from the the world of creation, where we're making and organizing and ordering, and we turn our attention on this day from that to the creation of the world. The Sabbath grounds us in the original rhythms of creation itself. And reminds us of the holiness of God and His kingdom that exists in eternity. Last quote that I want to share with you. I love this one. Six days a week we wrestle with the world. Ringing profit from the earth. And again, this can be a good thing as we work unto the Lord. We ring profit from the earth. On the Sabbath, we especially care, though, for the seed of eternity planted in the soul. The world has our hands, but our soul, guys, our soul belongs to someone else. The Sabbath and the practice that Christians have 
begun on Sundays, that we gather together for worship and rest and play and joy, is a time for us to remember that our soul belongs to someone other than the world. The powers of the earth are veiled and thin. We set our hearts on the one who owns our soul. Listen, the Sabbath is like, we're talking about the margins here in this series. The Sabbath is like the minimum margins around your life. That anytime we try and push ourselves beyond that 6-1 pattern of work and rest, we're going to break down eventually if that pattern exists for a long period of time. We were made for a season of work and then a season of remembering that our lives are not ultimately about work. That our lives belong to God, belong in eternity. But I want to go a step further here. We also know that we weren't made to work like 27 hours one day, you know, like, uh, or, or like six days a week and then rest, like crash one day. So I want to encourage you. God set us kind of these minimum margins, right? But you also weren't made to work from the moment you get up until the moment you go to bed at night. Maybe your family needs you. Maybe your church needs you. Maybe your friends need you. And you need them. And you need space at the edge of your paper for rest and play and to remember that you are worth more than your work. You are worth more than the bricks that you make or how, how high your tower goes. You are worth more and here's one of the reasons that we know why. Because you and I are the reasons God gave up all of heaven and took on flesh and came among us and gave his life for us. Not because of what you produce, not because of what you make, but because of who you are that he created you to be. So this morning, we're going to receive communion together. And I want to invite whoever's uh, serving communion to go ahead and come forward. Doug and Jean are going to come forward, and we're just going to have one uh, station over here. So we'll come down the aisle here. As you come forward to receive the elements and then bring them back to your seat, and we'll take them together. But as you come forward and as you hold the elements that remind you of the broken body of Christ and His shed blood, remember you are worth more than you are than your work than what you produce you are worth more because God loves you and gave his life for you and so would you stand I want to invite Ashley and uh, Stephen are going to come and lead us in a song as well while you come to receive your elements if you came prepared to give uh, your offerings and tithes this morning in worship uh, we've got a basket up here so receive the elements um, go by the basket and, and give in worship uh, your offerings and your tithes. If you call this church home, this is a regular pattern and practice we want you to be involved in. And, um, and uh, we'll sing together, receive the elements, and then I'll come and lead us uh, in receiving them and taking them uh, after everyone's been served. So come.